0: Daryl, why a National Medal of Honor museum? Why in Texas? And is this the only one?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There are a couple of smaller Medal of Honor museums that are, that are out there across the country. And there's obviously some museums that have you know exhibits that are focused on the Medal of Honor. But a National Medal of Honor uh, museum, this will be the first one. Uh, Arlington, Texas, currently being constructed right now. It's actually a three-pronged project. It's going to be a museum and an institute, a leadership institute, co-located in Arlington, Texas. And then we're also going to be building a monument in Washington, D.C. But uh, surprisingly enough, there, there's not a National Medal of Honor museum.
0: Uh, so, so we're going to be the first one. So this is the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. Is that right? Well, the foundation covers that three-pronged project,
1: the museum, the institute, and then the monument. Okay. But the, yes, the National Medal of Honor Museum will be built in Arlington, Texas. Uh, it's going to be right beside AT&T Stadium, uh, Globe Life Field, where the Texas Rangers play. So it's an ideal location. They did a nation, uh, nation, nationwide uh, search for the location. They looked California, Texas, Colorado. It actually boiled down to uh, Denver, Colorado, and Arlington, Texas. Uh, fortunately, Arlington, Texas
0: won out. Um, did Jerry Jones have anything to do with that?
1: Uh, yes, uh, he sure did. His family, huge, huge patriots. That family, I can't, I can't say enough great things about the Jones family. Uh, his daughter, Charlotte Jones, is the chairwoman of our board. Had a meeting with her today, actually, for a few hours uh, on finishes at the museum. Uh, such great attention to detail. But yeah, the the Jones family have donated $20 million uh, to the foundation. So they're huge supporters. Yeah, huge supporters. But the Texas area, I think everyone knows, you know, stereotypical, Texas is a very patriotic state, which is true. But we're so strategically located close to Dallas Fort Worth Airport, Dallas Love Field, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area is like the fourth largest uh, metroplex in the country, 8 million people. Uh, Texas just hit 30 million people for state population, uh, which, you know, is followed by, you know, California. Uh, they've been over 30 million for some time now. So I think pre-COVID, Texas is getting 50 million visitors uh, to that area. Yeah. So there's a lot that went into that decision when it actually came down to Denver uh, versus Arlington. And uh, talking to some of my colleagues that have been there for a while. It's kind of interesting that it was the Jones family pushing for this project, uh, Arlington, Texas versus like Peyton Manning and some of the big names from Denver. Uh, So that interesting
0: dynamic, but fortunately, we went out. Yeah, you have to be a little bit of a Cowboys fan, Troy, you got like, like the Cowboys a little bit. Yeah, well, you got to (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely have to be Cowboys fans. Um, I feel like, I mean, we just had our Salute to Service uh, game in December where the National Football League, you know, remembers and uh, honors our military folks. So um, we had a great, uh, we had some Medal of Honor recipients that showed up, I think like 15 to 17 uh, Medal of Honor recipients that were there for the game. And it was extremely powerful.
0: So what can someone, if I was going to visit it, which I will when it's open, what should I expect? And then what should a Medal of Honor recipient expect when they go to visit?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we have a podcast. If I could give a, a little plug to our podcast, uh, podcast it's called Mission Inspire. And for the past few podcasts uh, that's been done, we've had, we've had some of the living Medal of Honor recipients uh, that have been on there. And it's, you know, short, short podcast, 30, 45 minutes. And it's interesting to hear their feedback when Mo Barrett is the, is the podcast host, and she says, hey, you know, she's talking to a you know, Medal of Honor recipient, like, hey, what do you want to see when the museum's built in Arlington, Texas? And they really, it's less of, you know, the, the action that happened in Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, they want to talk about those values. We, we talk a lot about six values, courage, sacrifice, commitment, integrity, citizenship, and patriotism. And they they are interested in those values. Uh, they're interested in education. They're they're interested in character development with the youth, like that's their angle. That's what they're really that's not, that's what they're really big on. So I just think that's an interesting you know that's an interesting way that they yeah. look at it. But for someone like you and your family that comes down, it's not going to be like a typical museum that you might think. Going through the exhibit deck, uh, we're going to have like thirty thousand square feet. It's not going to be chronological, like when you first get up there and you start walking around, you're not going to hit the Civil War time period and then you know end up at GWAT, Iraq, Afghanistan. It's going to be more biography, uh, more stories and the values, and we're going to focus on some key recipients, which is really hard to do for our content team to, to really yeah. get those recipients that will, will resonate and, and to hear their story. And to be inspired by their story, I think it's going to be really powerful.
0: So which Medal of Honor recipient or recipients resonates most with you or do you kind of, I don't know, maybe you got a favorite or something? Yeah,
1: it's a, yeah, a great question. You know, I tell my colleagues on the staff all the time, I spent 26 and a half years in the Army. I was only ever around one Medal of Honor recipient. And that was Bob Howard. Uh, He was a Vietnam era, Special Forces Medal of Honor recipient, absolute beast. I think that was, I was maybe 10 years in the service. So that was the only one in 26 and a half years. And that was just at a function. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, don't talk to this guy. Don't ask him for a picture. Don't ask him for an autograph. Just stay away from him. But that was the only recipient I was ever around. So now that I'm at the foundation, we see a lot of the recipients. We interact with a lot of the recipients. So that's always that's always interesting for me. But as far as trying to pick out one recipient, I mean, they're all just, you know, amazing, amazing, humble, humble people. Kyle Carpenter, uh, Marine Corps, youngest uh, living metal. Honor he's still recipient. the youngest? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he comes to mind. And he's just such a humble guy. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, but... But I would say the, the one Medal of Honor recipient um, that really resonates the most with me is uh, Master Sergeant uh, Roy Benavidez. And of course, he's mm-hmm. deceased now. But he was Special Forces Mac V. Sog, you know, and his action was in Cambodia. I think it was back in 68. But his story is so powerful. And I think our con- our country could just learn so much from his story uh Roy was indian uh mexican that was you know that was his background and he, he dealt with some discrimination he was an orphan he didn't do great in school he entered he entered the army he 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 just had a love for his country even though his country didn't treat him that well yeah. he had a such a such a love for his country that was so powerful and then his ser- you know once he started serving his first tour in Vietnam, he was wounded. Uh, so bad. Uh, the doctor said to, "And this is before he was special forces. You know, I think he was infantry. He was wounded so bad. Uh, the doctor said, Hey, really, you're, you done with the military, you're, you're never going to walk again. So not only did he overcome that, he basically taught himself how to walk again. And then once he was able to walk, he was cleared for service. And then he tried out for special forces and made special forces. Uh, And then his action, sorry, Uh, then his action, I mean, he was shot, he was blown up, he was stabbed, hand-to-hand combat, so grievously wounded that, you know, they were zipping him up in a body bag. Uh, That's how bad it was. And it's unfortunate, you know, Roy was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for years, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with you know, because the action was in Cambodia, and you know the secrecy mm. behind all of that. But uh, so, the
0: Distinguished Service Cross is not even the second highest ranking. That's not the same. Is that what the Army calls the second highest? Is yeah, distinct? okay. That right, is, that I'm was right. the second. So that's highest. like the Navy Cross or the Air Force Cross, right? Right. Okay.
1: But and then you know, once Roy, now that action like is just so heroic and so inspiring, right? But a lot of the things that Roy did after he received the Medal of Honor are equally as powerful he had a he did a lot of talks with students and you know schools and things like that so uh he was a great ambassador for the medal of honor and just his story to to basically come from nothing Mm -hmm. to to where he ended up was just such a powerful story that resonates a lot with me when did he die
0: um i think it's been several years Did he receive it much later then, the award? Because I feel like I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I believe he received received it from
1: President Reagan, so it was in the...
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: Yeah, it was uh,
0: 10, 15 years later. Okay. I've had Herschel Woody Williams on my show and Sammy Davis. I think those are the only two Medal of Honor recipients I've had, and Sammy Davis thing I remember about him the most is he was talking about when he came home from the war, from Vietnam, and they were in San Francisco, and all the protesters were there. Mm. So imagine what they've come from, and then here he is in his own country, and he's not as safe even. And I said, did you look them in the eye? And he said, I looked every one of them in the eye. It was awesome the way he said that when I was talking to him. Yeah. And then Woody Williams, obviously, he's got the West Virginia connection like you. Yeah. And that guy was so funny because he, you know, he was a country boy and he he didn't know where Japan was. He'd never heard of it, I don't think. And he was like, I didn't know where California was. I mean, he was just like, I'll join, I'll I'll join, and uh, I'll go wherever. Okay, wherever that is. Yeah, let's go. And here he is, ends up getting in the flamethrower. Do you know about him? He has a flamethrower. Yeah, nobody on, even on teaches. Iwo Jima. Yeah, nobody even teaches him how to use it. He has to they have to figure it out, right? And he yeah. uses that to kill the enemy.
1: And clear the, the Japanese pillboxes. Yeah. yeah. The bunkers. Like it's amazing. And and Woody tried to serve his country, you know, earlier, but he had the hype. Uh, restrictions he wasn't tall enough, oh really, yeah, so he tried to join uh and then it took a couple of attempts before he was he was finally able to join but that's another that's another recipient um that did so much for gold star families and mm-hmm. and veterans and just i mean he just continued to serve, uh, yeah, just so
0: powerful that well, was a big hit if you're in town and have free time tomorrow, you you may want to go down to the the park. There is the Gold Star Family Memorial that, of Woody Williams Foundation that they that they put up in um, October of twenty. Which park? Which what park, park is that? Is, that? The, is it just the Veterans Park? It's downtown. We're I'm Houston. going to that Veterans Museum tomorrow. I think it's a Veterans Museum somewhere around here. Well, there's something down. I'm already forgetting the name of it, but it's got some. It's got several statues. It's got some aircraft. It's all outdoors. It's right off one of the interchanges of the interstate there in the parkway. But, uh, I believe it's the, it's veterans Memorial park. I think is what you call it. And there, and then Woody's the gold star family memorial is in there too. Yeah. So that, that had to have been a really cool experience to talk to, to talk to Woody and Mm -hmm. and Sammy. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy, uh, and I have a mutual connection uh, because I've been out to California a few times to speak and, uh, and you know what's funny is a lot of us. I hear I'm from Alabama, and you you hear this, you hear California, and you think they don't love our country, that kind of thing. But right. man, it's not. I mean, yes, there's there's some of that, of sure. course. But up there in that area where I've been several times, I mean, they are the most patriotic, God fearing, just military loving and supporting people I've ever been around. A lot of farmers. That's up there in that Central Valley. You know, you get you get. It's basically eighty miles east of San Francisco, just awesome people. Yeah. And, um, Sammy is from up in that area. And, and so yeah, it was, it was great to talk
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole stereotyping. I mean, I'm coming to Alabama today. I haven't really spent a lot of time in Alabama, so I didn't really know what I was getting, getting myself into, but this area, I mean, I've only been on the ground for a few hours, but man, this is a great area. I was making jokes, pulling into the neighborhood, like, "Hey, if my is my car going to be safe?" I, you know, obviously, I knew it was going to be safe. It's a great neighborhood, great houses. Uh, just man, it's a cool area. I'm excited to go drive around tomorrow.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty area. Yeah. Uh, so, what else about the Medal of Honor Museum do do you want people to know? Because you're traveling the country now, talking about it, I think, and, and pumping it up.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris Cassidy is our president, and CEO. Uh, interesting background. We were talking a little bit about it before the show, and hopefully, uh, we can get Chris on the show at some point. Yeah, I think he'd be yeah, a great, be great. Yeah, Chris, uh, former Navy SEAL, NASA astronaut, MIT grad, great guy. He's leading the way, but he's our primary, primary spokesman. But you know, we're just trying to get the word out. We're still fundraising. Uh, we still have a lot of money to raise. Uh, we're like forty million plus that we still need. So. So that's an ongoing effort. We need more friends. We need to get the word out. That was one of the things I learned uh, when I worked at the Museum of the Bible. Uh, I was there during construction phase, grand opening and opening. And even though we were building this museum, this $550 million museum in Washington, D.C., a couple blocks south of the Capitol, you know, we'd been there for a couple of years. People still didn't know. Like you could drive like a mile away. And it's like, you guys are building a what (laughs) in Washington DC, a museum of the Bible. So yeah, definitely, I think uh, the best thing that we can do is continue to talk about the foundation and the museum and get the word out. But I think a lot of people, you know, the education, the character development, the values, you know, something that's unifying, uh, not dividing, you know, uh, this transcends politics. It's not like every Medal of Honor recipient is a conservative or Mm-hmm. a Democrat, or, you know, this transcends politics, bipartisan. We want to bring people together. We want a wholesome place where you can bring your
0: family and get a great experience and just be like, wow, that was awesome. What are the rules? Let's take Kyle Carpenter, for instance. could be anybody. He's young. I don't know what his rank was. When he was, when he was injured and received, and later received the Medal of Honor, Let's say he was, a don't know, in E3. I don't don't know what it was, but... If you get the Medal of Honor and you're physically able to go back into service, what are the rules there? When do you wear the the medal? When do you not? And how do people treat you differently? How does that work?
1: Well, I I think some people treat it different. You know, we still have three active duty uh, Medal of Honor recipients uh, that are still serving. So I do think that the Department of Defense wants to try to, you know, keep our recipients safe and, and alive, obviously, they don't want to put them in harm's way. So I think there is some considerations there for our active duty, you know, still, still serving recipients. But as far as some of the certain rules, I'm, I'm not really for sure, just being around some other recipients. I know some are fine with wearing the the Medal of Honor around their neck and others don't really like to wear it that much.
0: So, should we move on? Anything else on the Medal of Honor?
1: Yeah, you can go to our website. I mean, like I said, we're still looking for friends. Uh, we're looking for partners. Uh, I'm I'm uh, wearing Black Rifle Black Rifle uh, Coffee Company shirt today. They're they're one of our big partners. Haven't had a chance to meet Evan Hafer yet. Their leader. I've met Matt Best. I've I've met him uh, a couple of times. Matt Best, uh, great. Those are just great dudes, uh, great patriots, and and we have a strong partnership uh, with Black Rifle, and and we're very mm. appreciative of that. But you can go to our website, mohmuseum.org. Uh, you can see what we're doing. You can see the the three different parts of the project, the museum, the institute, and the monument. We have a little uh, little gift store on there if you want to buy some, uh, some hats or something like that, uh, some coffee mugs. We're always looking for donors so so yeah check it out that's one of the hats right there it's one of the yeah, coins so too let's see if
0: i can get this on camera
1: yeah if you want a hat Appreciate uh coin that. and then we yeah. have
0: the pins too yeah so you got, you got some pins and then got some coat. swag there yeah nice to have that coin yeah
1: it's a really it's a really neat coin that's a very very yeah. popular item the coin and the coffee mug for sure yeah i appreciate that and you can follow us uh the folks out there listening you know you can follow us on social media uh there's not a lot of derelicts on linkedin so if you want to if you want to follow me on linkedin i do a lot of updates yeah you're very active yeah i typically do uh i try to do one major construction site update you know at the beginning of the month so i have a really neat one for march that's going to be coming out so yeah if you guys want to follow me follow the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation on all the socials. I'm only on LinkedIn, so I don't see what else is going on. Mm -hmm. But we do have a lot of we have a lot of stuff out there if you want to tune in. What about
0: those shoes? I was wanting a pair of those shoes, those red, white and blue. Yeah, I'm kidding. But those are awesome. You've been I don't know what the connection is there. Yeah, so that's
1: Darren Davis. That's someone I'm connected with uh, on LinkedIn. I give Darren a, a shout out. He's He's supporting Woody Williams Foundation and the Congressional Medal of Honor Society. So the proceeds from those shoes uh, are going back to those foundations. And, and we do have a relationship. He sent, uh, you might have seen the picture on LinkedIn. He sent Chris and I a, cop, uh, a pair of those shoes. So, so those, those are some really cool shoes. And maybe I can reach out and get you guys connected. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, No, they are
0: great. That's a, that's yeah. a great gift. Uh, and so I, I love them. Yeah, those are really cool. Let's see. Let's move on to let's go on to you like you, prior to the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. Maybe way prior. You have a career since the army and before now, but you were in the you were in special forces, the Green Beret, so seems like forever ago, but yeah. Yeah, and and there's so much that we you know, we won't be able to cover, but maybe we go to um, your your deployment at least around 2006 and that was Iraq. Your ODA was awarded the Thorn award well it's the the Thorn award, right? Yes. And um in 2006. And by the way, who names these missions? We got Operation <laughs> Thor's Hammer, we got Loki or Loki. We the, we named those missions. Parliament <clears throat> Highkey? I don't know what, what how do you say that? Yeah. Oper- anyway, you've got a, a Operation Omega. One of these... So this is all... Is this like a 12-month deployment? No,
1: this was uh, This was January to August of 2006. So it was an eight-month deployment. Oh, okay. And okay. it was a very, very interesting deployment
0: for sure. And it was... I mean, you were super active. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we I mean, were after it. So this one, Operation Parliament, it says... Y'all received time-sensitive information of the abduction of a female Iraqi parliament member. Yeah. And I'll just skip down, and basically, y'all got messages to the kidnappers that it was in their best interest to release the hostage to avoid further offensive operations against them. The hostage was later released unharmed. What was said, because they, they tone it down here, it was in their best interest, but what, what was said, and how did y'all get them to listen and to release her? Yeah,
1: interesting story, and we have to leave some some things out because yeah. of the sensitivity. But what happened on that? We got the information; it was time sensitive. So we, you know, special forces is known for their planning, and you know the preparation and all that. So time sensitive, it kind of takes away all of that. It's like, hey, we have to go. Like we have a location of a hostage. So from what I recall on this one, because uh, you know several years ago but I'll never forget this one uh, because of a, a certain incident where they were actually holding her was north, a little bit north of Sadr city. So just an absolute rat nest of an area. And we, we linked up quickly with our coalition forces and we said, Hey, we have a time sensitive target. We have an Iraqi hostage. This is where we think she is. And, you know, our, our army counterparts are like, you you guys are going to need tanks. And it's like, well, if we have tanks, then as soon as we start getting close, like we're, we're not going to have a shot. So we're going to try to do our vehicles and we're going to kind of do an offset, kind of like a, a, a video, a vehicle drop off. And we were going to get close and kind of walk in.
0: Is this an urban area?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's urban. So our tanks were like, okay, but it's a
0: rough area, you know? IEDs and, all you know, so we had a lot of threats that we were dealing with. And now, that's sorry, Daryl, to, to understand Iraq at this time in 2006. I think it was, it was very, very active and very dangerous. Wasn't it? Wasn't it yeah, a very, yeah, it, time then?
1: it was a dangerous, violent time period. We got there in January and, you know, Iraq was just dangerous as is, you know, when we got there 22 February of 2006 sunni al-qaeda since bombed one of the largest shia mosque in in samara and it ignited a civil war in iraq so on top of everything that was going on all of the violence just as is with a war zone then we had a civil war that broke out on the 22nd so it it like made everything's everything like a million times worse i mean it was it was terrible sunnis killing shia shia's killing sunni everyone hated us. That was like the one thing that they actually agreed on that they all hated Americans and let's kill Americans. So it it totally it was a game changer 22 February 20, 2006 game changer. Uh, and we were in Baghdad right at the center of gravity. Um, so yes, you're right. It's a very violent, dangerous time period, uh, a lot of lot of killings and kidnappings and torture, just unimaginable things. So going back to the mission, uh, we were we were getting close to the target. And we hit an IED, uh, improvised explosive device. And uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and they asked the guy like as far as like, man, what the one time that you like really had some fear, you know, and I'd say for me, that was probably it. You You're know? saying
0: when you hit it or before you hit it? When we hit it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because I was the third vehicle. Our first vehicle hit, actually the IED hit the first vehicle, but I was the third one back, but still being part of that so close And you see it, it's kind of like you have a, I'm sure it was only a couple seconds, but you're just there and you're like, wow, we just hit an IED. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you don't forget that. Uh, You don't forget that feeling and probably the taste and smell too. Yeah, the explosion and the sound and, you know, bodies and, you know, all of that stuff going on. So at that point, it was like, get those tanks up here. You know, uh, we're getting close. We're going to need these tanks. But we pretty much blew the target at that point. You know, they that that was the reason, you know, they had the early warning and they knew that we weren't going to be able to get close without them knowing. So, uh, but they knew that we were coming, that we were after. We wanted this person back. Uh, She was important. Had Uh, you already given them the message?
0: Oh, no, no. Okay. They didn't have it yet. All right. Yeah,
1: they didn't have it yet. But, but they knew they're like, hey, we know who you are and we're coming. We just got a little off track on this one, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we were able to use our network, and I can't really get into specifics, but we were able to use our network to communicate and kind of send a signal like, uh,
0: you don't want to do this, and it worked. I love that story. I mean, what little bit we know about it and what you can say. yeah. But that's the that's the United States that I grew up with. I mean, I, as a teenage young teenager with with Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Yeah, I mean Storm and Norman. I mean, I was like, hey, the U.S. we we kick some butt and we take some names. And yeah, and so I, that's a great story. What are some of the leadership lessons that you learned in, from Iraq, and, and how many times did you go to Iraq? So I had
1: four rotations to Iraq. I was there, and you know one of the rotations that, you know, I was there 2003 and then my second rotation was 2004 to 2005. Uh, so that was my second rotation. And then I started, you know, I was somewhat senior uh, when the war broke out in 03. For 06, I was a team sergeant. So I was leading a special okay. forces operational detachment alpha in 2006. So that, you know, we were in Baghdad in 06 and it was, you know, Donkey Kong crazy. Uh, I was a team sergeant in 2007. That was another six to eight month rotation, where we did, um, man, we did a lot of damage uh, that rotation as well. So yeah, I did four four
0: trips to Iraq. Golly, yeah. What are some things that stand out though with what you what you learned? Um, I would
1: say uh, I actually uh, I wrote some of them down before before we came in today, but you know, leading by example I think was was a big one, and what I mean by that. You know, in 06 and 07, I was a team sergeant, you know, so I was senior, but I still took turns being a gunner in the turret. You know, I wasn't always sitting in the up-armored Humvee Mm -hmm. driving the streets of Baghdad, which is a totally crazy, different experience when you think, all right, we're going to get in a vehicle and we're going to drive on this road. And there's a chance that we're probably going to get blown up. I mean, you really have to wrap your mind around that. And that's you have what to I, control. I, I mean,
0: Troy, can you imagine that? I, I think about that all the time. The enemy, lots of times, they know the path you take when you leave your base. Oh, yeah. And every day, are you going to hit one? And I don't care how up-armored your vehicles are. And, and that's a great point. I'd want, I want like to touch on that one. Do it. That's a great point.
1: Because we were playing chess this whole time. Like, it was PhD-level chess. You know, we started out, like, when we did the initial invasion into Iraq... We had Toyota Hilux trucks. You know, they, there's no armor yeah. at all. And then, you know, we had the Humvees, and we took the doors off. So we had no armor, no doors, and we were porcupined out, what we called porcupined out. So you had weapons out, mm-hmm. you know, and you're scanning for threats and things like that. But you had no protection. So we're constantly doing this little chess maneuvering So then they started rolling out the improvised explosive devices. It was a way to kind of battle us because we had all of this technology and all of these things. It's like, well, let's see how they do with these bombs. Are these
0: all mostly pressure plates or they use use a cell phone or how were they? They were
1: using all kinds of different different devices. So then we started like, okay, we're losing a lot of guys, losing a lot of limbs. So it's like, okay, we're going to go up armored and we're going to have armored vehicles. And then for us, I remember it was like, okay, we got the the uh, up-armored vehicles. Speed's going to be our security because we traveled in small packages. You know, we would travel like two, three vehicles where most of the regular Army and Marine Corps convoys are like these huge convoys, like, you know, 10, 20 vehicles or whatever. We were like in two. So it's like, hey, speed's our security. We're hauling ass, you know, down these these main supply routes, these MSRs. So that was our security. Well, then the enemy, has; they have a vote. So they're like, okay, so these guys are doing the whole speed thing. And then they came out with the explosive uh, form projectiles, EFPs. And they used like a garage door technology, like the laser thing. So as soon as your vehicle kind of hits that laser, it doesn't matter if you're going 20 miles an hour or you're going 60 miles an hour, you're eaten some steel that's getting shot through that vehicle.
0: Never heard of those. Yeah, the EFPs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that that was all Iran, Iran. I mean, that was all Iranian made. Okay. Yeah, they were doing their own proxy war. Yeah, that was a whole different, different story, too. So, so our strategies were always changing. But there was a big threat. So going back to the leadership lesson, you know, it was it was important for me to be a leader. And like, hey, You know, I'm not going to be setting in the up armored vehicle. I'm taking a turn on the gun in the turret Mm because that's typically the most dangerous place. You know, something it, it could even be a vehicle accident where you hit another car. Which we had vehicles that slammed into us, and you know, there's a lot of things that that happen in Baghdad. There's so many people. So I think leading by example is really important and doing the hard stuff just because you're, you know, you're a supervisor or manager, and it's like, oh, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. Yeah, right. That doesn't work on a special forces team. A big lesson, I also learned control what you can control. You know, there's some things and I have to remind myself, you know, in my current role as the chief of business operations, I, I constantly have to remind myself because there's some things that are just outside my control, I need to focus on my job you know, do what I'm supposed to do and I can't worry about, mm-hmm. you know, what someone else is doing. I just, do you question. ever
0: say, Hey, nobody's dying. Nobody's losing a leg today. So I think we're all right. I, ever kind of I, oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I say that to, you know, cause cause Chris Cassidy's my boss and he's a former Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Hey man, I think we're all right. You know, no one's <laughs> shooting at us. So yeah. we're good. Right. And he's like, yeah, of course. So yeah, we do kind of have that little joke inside cause there are things that pop up, you know, with, you know, there's different politics with nonprofits and stuff like that. So so yeah, that is definitely something that we've said to each other, probably at least five
0: times. (laughs)
1: But control what you control. Uh, You can't fake preparation. Uh, Courage is contagious. Calm breeds calm is a is another one. I think that was a huge uh, lesson. And I think that applies on the civilian business side as well. Calm breeds calm, because if you get people all excited, or there's something going on, and then the leadership starts freaking out, then the staff's gonna start freaking mm-hmm. out, you know? So that was always important because we were involved in a lot of engagements. I mean, where we were at in Baghdad, you know, oh six and 07, we were both in Baghdad, but particularly oh six, we were on the east side of the Tigris River and it was just I mean, it was Donkey Kong, it was the wild, wild west. So if you were really gonna be getting High stress and and all of that, like you know, the guys see that, then they yeah. start getting into that. Mm-hmm. But if the leader's
0: calm, calm breeds calm, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. Do we have time to talk about? I guess without treating it, not giving it, I guess, the time or respect it needs. Your live day, what can you tell us about that, Daryl? Or would you rather save that for another time? But you know, you almost died. Yeah, probably more than once, but this case, this time in particular, you consider it your li- alive day.
1: Yeah, so my alive day is it goes back to that oh six that crazy violent um, uh, rotation. So my alive day is seventeen April two thousand six. You know we we were co located. We we weren't in the same compound. We were two different compounds, but but we had our hundred first brothers from uh, from Fort Campbell Kentucky, which I previously served at before my special forces time. So actually, you know, my heart went out to those guys, because they had a different mission, they had a tough mission, they were trying to train the Iraqi army to fight. So, you know, they weren't doing anything unilateral, you know, they had to do everything with the Iraqi army. So that meant when they got into a big gunfight, it wasn't just, you know, US soldiers like, hey, let's go do it. But they had to deal with their Iraqi army soldiers. And a lot of time those guys didn't want to fight Uh or sometimes they didn't know how to fight or sometimes, you know, maybe they were, sometimes you couldn't trust them. Yeah, Yeah. You couldn't trust them. Right. Yeah. So we understood they had a tough, they had a tough, uh, they had a tough mission, but, but 17 April, 2006, it was an administrative day for us, which is crazy. To, you know, to say like, hey, we were doing an administrative day in a combat <laughs> zone and a very violent, but, but we had some things that we needed to take care of. We were doing some upgrades to our vehicles, but, uh, and I'll cut a lot of the story out and kind of get to the, to the meat. But we left our compound, our brothers from the 101st were, were in a good gunfight. We knew it. And we'd ask them if they needed anything. They said, no,
0: I was like, okay, cool.
1: So we went to the green zone, which is 10 minutes away, if that. And, um,
0: why did you go there?
1: Uh, well, that's where our company headquarters, that's where okay, like our okay. bosses were. So we kind of like went there and checked in with them and I think we had some meetings. Okay. So we dropped a couple guys off and then we were getting ready to go to Baghdad international airport, take a route Irish, which is one of our favorite routes. And we were going to do turret upgrades. So we had a little bit more protection for the gunners. So it was administrative, no big deal. Uh, and then I got another call. We, we carry these little embassy cell phones, uh, in my pocket sleeve and my, my team leader was back at Apache. That was our base. And he said, hey, the, the 101st guys just called. They need you guys. Can you guys, you know, where are you at? Can you do it? So we pulled off the side of the road, and that was kind of the rule, like, hey, man, if you guys need us, you know, we'll be there. Mm-hmm. But just don't call us for no BS. Like, if you need us, we're gonna bring it, and we're gonna do some damage. So nothing silly, but if you need us, we're gonna bring it. But I got on the phone and then I checked in with the guys because that was another kind of leadership lesson for me. Like when you're asking guys to risk their life and you know that you're going into a dangerous situation, and keep in mind, this was a situation we didn't have to do it. You know, there was nobody saying, like, hey, you are directed. This was our decision. Yeah. So I felt it was important as a leader to get some buy in from the guys. And of course, I had a bunch of young, hungry dudes. They wanted to fight. Of course. Uh, So uh, God bless them. And I checked in with the guys, and they were like, heck, yeah, let's do it. So we rolled back to Adamiya, which is the, the area that we were – is a suburb of Baghdad, and it was the last Sunni stronghold in Baghdad. So this is 2006. You know, Baghdad was primarily all Sunni, and then once uh, the war started and Saddam ended up getting captured and all that, they started – the Shia started pushing all the Sunni out. Adamiya was the last stronghold, and that's where we were and uh they had a large uh Sunni mosque there Abu Hanifa so it was it was a violent place uh but but in we ended up going there two vehicles had six green berets and one interpreter and this is 17 April 2006 uh, we linked up with the Iraqi army jumped right into the middle of a, a big gunfight uh, AK-47s machine guns PKMs uh RPGs it was it was not harassment fire it was they were actually, the enemy was maneuvering. So that was a little bit different for us. We were getting a lot of harassment fire up to this point. So we ended up linking, linking up with the Iraqi army. We ended up linking up with our 101st brothers. And they'd, they'd kind of been stationary for a little while. I, I feel like they'd lost a little momentum because of what they were trying to, you know, they were trying to gather all the Iraqi armies and yeah, inspire some courage. So we had a lot more flexibility because we were unilateral and we were hungry. And we wanted to do it. We wanted to fight. So uh, we kind of kicked things off and we just started working some of the side streets. I had some pictures, probably easier to explain, but we were going down this one main road and then had all these side streets and that's where we're getting a lot of contact. So heavy engagement. We dealt with all of that. Uh, We eliminated some, some threats, uh, multiple threats. Uh, But as we continued to work into Atomia, we got deeper into the city they started barricading the streets they you know they were already barricaded so that's where uh, you hear like an inch here an inch there you know yeah i those were some of the points where i was i had to get out of the vehicle to clear these obstacles but they had it set it up so strategically at these crossroads where they could cover the areas and then our vehicles were back so we couldn't really support we couldn't get up there to see them so I had to get out of the vehicle and expose myself to clear those obstacles and then we could get the vehicles up with the gun trucks you know or the you know the gunners and they could engage targets or eliminate the threats so so that's when you hear an inch here an inch there a lot of those points and then we got to a certain point where I had a really good engagement with some guys on a rooftop
0: well that's what I was thinking is surely I- there's got to be buildings around, so you don't know where people It was a 360.
1: Yeah, it was 360. Yeah, okay, And there was just hornets everywhere flying around. Uh, but yeah, at some point, at a, at a certain point, we were working our way in. I was engaging a lot of guys on rooftops that were firing down at us, and my gunner was firing a different direction because there was just so many threats. And I really needed my gunner to shift over. So that was another point because I was fighting from the engine block of our, of our Humvee. So I had a little bit of cover and then finally my gunner realized what was going on and he saw me kind of getting hammered. He was able to flex over. Uh, we ended up, our vehicle did get shot up so bad. It, it, it was dead. you know, killed the engine block. So we had to tow it back. And that was a two hour engagement and that's my live day for sure. Kind of abbreviated,
0: but yeah, it was a tough day. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah very day. So did you practice calm? calmness that day as a leader or is that one of those times where maybe you learned that you had to be calmer
1: no no i definitely practice uh the calm breeds calm you know even when we lost our engine block our trail vehicle was calling up as soon as they called up and said d you guys are leaking lots of lots of fluids i couldn't even i got the message i couldn't relay it to my driver before the engine block you know it was dead so i couldn't even tell him (laughs) He was telling me like, Hey, I lost power, man. I, I got nothing. And it was like, uh, I think this goes back to you can't fake preparation because we had practiced towing vehicles. Hey, if we have a vehicle that goes down or if we have a vehicle that gets hit with an IED, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get it out of there, we're gonna treat casualties, we're gonna tow it, you know, all those type of things. So mm-hmm. So that was just a moment that we had practiced before and And we set up our tow straps, and we towed that vehicle out because we were at a point where we were just getting hammered continuously uh, with fire, so we towed it out, and then we just made a we made a call back like, "Hey, get us another vehicle ready because we're coming right back out here because this is where all the action, you know that's where we wanted to be so yeah, that was definitely a day that that was a calm breed's calm
0: day. Do you do anything special on April seventeenth
1: um yeah i typically I typically reach out to to my guys via text. I think the last couple of years I might have posted something on LinkedIn, but i I typically excuse me I typically reach out to my guys and just say, "Hey, man, glad I was there with you. you know we did great things, and you know that was a cool day, and you know we kind of have fond fond memories of it now, uh,
0: looking back okay yeah. So moving on to when you got out. Now, did you put in 26 years? 26, yep. That's great. That's great. And you retired. What is something that you did to help you with your transition into civilian life?
1: Man, I'm still a work in progress, but I think the best thing that
0: helped me with transition
1: because, you know, you've probably heard this if you've talked to to veterans, but, you know, when we get toward the end of our time, we try to, unfortunately, we try to hide a lot of things that happen to us. And we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to get removed from the team, or or maybe be yeah. viewed as weak. Yep. Where it's like, oh, this guy mm-hmm. has PTSD or TBI, <sighs> or he's going through a divorce. You know, we don't want to be viewed as weak, so we keep a lot of that stuff bottled up. So toward the end of my time, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm getting ready to retire. I need to do all my retirement physicals, and uh, I went to a TBI clinic. Uh, it's called Intemperate Spirit at Fort Bragg. I didn't know I had TBI. I went to the clinic thinking like, I'm just going to go to the clinic and they're going to check me out and say, hey, you're good. And it's like, hey, dude, you have TBI. And I'm like, what? So this is toward the end. So I was, I think they were giving me trazodone or something. I was, I was on magnesium and trazodone and had, had a bunch of headaches. I had a lot of headaches and I was on all these things. And I was like, man, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to. There has to be something else I can do. And I think the biggest thing, what I'm getting at, the, the biggest thing that really helped me was, was just trying to stay active, you know, to do, I do a lot of treadmill work. I'm, I'm a work in progress, but I think the fitness thing, uh, for me, it's, it's probably a lot more mental maybe for me, mm-hmm. but I, I, I like to be active. I just got my wife and I, we just bought an elliptical cause I was getting a little bored with the treadmill, But that was important for me because I think I I went through some time periods where I was up and down, you know, weight-wise and some other things. And it was just important for me to try to keep the fitness, do something. And that's really helped a lot with the headaches. I don't take trazodone or magnesium, any of that stuff anymore.
0: Do you think it's more is it the getting the heart rate up is it building the muscle is it do you do it alone or do you do it with your wife or with yeah, your I, buddies I, or, or I
1: do it alone I have a garage
0: gym I and think you, the that's whole, what you prefer
1: Yeah yeah okay. yeah uh, I mean I've done the gym stuff before but after covid hit or during covid I was like man once we move from Virginia and we go to Texas like I want a I want a bigger place I want a movie room I want yeah. a garage gym you know there was a lot of things because of covid specifically I was like, I want to be prepared in case we have to go through this nut roll again. But, but that's something that really I think it, it helps me probably more mentally than anything else. Uh, it just makes me feel good. I think it gets the endorphins. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I think that that is something that's really helped me. And I think a lot of veterans, you know, they spend a lot of time in the military and they have to do physical training. They have to run and they have to ruck and you know do all these things, CrossFit, whatever. But And then when you retire, you don't have to do that anymore. So, kind of went through that little phase, but but now I I think that's something that really helps me a lot, man.
0: It helps me a lot. It's just getting active, doing something. I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. I mean, even I don't know if I told Troy. By the way, we're in uh, my buddy Troy By's studio. I keep I know. Thanks, Troy. So Troy's over here. Appreciate you. This is our town podcast. As you, I'm sure you can see a logo here somewhere. So uh, big thanks to Troy, but I was this past weekend, or last, so last Friday, I was just kind of I I'd had I was almost at my wits end. We had a bunch of kids at our house for a party, and they did nothing wrong. They were just typical kids. <laughs> they did break one of my lights. Darn it! Uh, you know the globe thing, and um, not a big deal, but and I've I've been kind of sick, so that that Friday night, I told my wife I was like, Hey, I'm I've got to get out. And I'm gonna go for a ruck because I'm gonna I'm gonna go crazy on somebody if if I don't do something. She's like, yes, go. So Saturday morning, I got up early. I put on my rucksack. I put a thirty pound plate, and I went for this great, great walk. And um, by myself, I had my uh, my um, I listened to an, a podcast. Actually, I finished up one of Troy's his episode fifty. Probably listened to one of one with you in it. And then part of it, I didn't listen to anything. I just, I just listened to the birds, you know. And it was, uh, it was so therapeutic for me. That's a great word, therapeutic. I think I came back because I came back a new man. <laughs> yeah, I told my wife I was a new man anyway. So yeah, yeah. It, it did help me. I was calmer that day. I did wasn't as, I wasn't you know uh, jumping on the kids and stuff. So you gotta have it. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine though when you've got the, when you got the traumatic situations like you've been in though. I mean, I, I don't know what that's like, but it's even more important. You got to have, you got to find what helps you heal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for everybody it's, you know, it might be something different, but for me it really helps sometimes like you therapeutic is such a great word. Cause I, that's, that's the word, you know, yeah, and that's, it's yeah. therapeutic for me. Sometimes I go over my notes, you know, cause I, I've been working at the foundation for a year. So there's still a lot of things that I'm trying to learn and pick up on. And we have a ton of work before the museum opens. Uh, Scheduled to open early 2025, by the way, but uh, sometimes I go over my notes, just try to stay on top of what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to get accomplished at work. I just uh, put some butcher block. You guys know what butcher block is? Because my wife didn't know. It's like the big white paper. Paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just got some of those so I could make some notes for work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I got another little project that I'm working on, but I kind of like to tinker around with that when I'm, when I'm out there on the treadmill or the elliptical and sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, sometimes I'll listen to music, but but man, it really helps me out. And I can tell how my day goes. If I have that workout in the morning, my day just, it seems to go so much better and the stress levels down, you know, but then if I don't go to the gym, my appetite, you know, I, I, it seems like I'm a little bit hungrier. or yeah. I'm trying to compensate. Probably crave more yeah. junk. To? Yeah, it's, it's weird, man. It's weird. So, you know, for the veterans out there that are listening, you know, try to find that thing that, that
0: works for you and, and keep doing it, man. Yeah, I think, Troy, one thing you do is go for a run, don't you? Four miles. That's awesome. And he's got an awesome gym here at his house, too, by the oh, way. I bet, man. He's got an
1: awesome podcast. So if uh, <laughs> the gym is anything like, like that, so I can imagine.
0: So what about, Daryl? what is one thing that your people you work with at the National Medal of Honor Museum – What's something they do not know about you, or would be surprised to know about you? It's hmm. a good question.
1: I think they're getting to know me pretty well. I've been there a year, so I kind of came in probably a little bit quiet. Let's see. They might not know that I enjoy watching the Office reruns. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. watch the Office, yeah. but the Office cracks me up, man. Absolutely yeah, cracks me crack up. Me so up, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if people would would identify me as like an Office guy, but that could probably be. I guess okay. that could be one thing. Okay. Yeah. Favorite character, Favorite character. Yeah. On the office. Pam, Jim. I mean, they're all, uh, Dwight probably just because of his <laughs> shenanigans. Worst. He's got a couple yeah. episodes that absolutely crack me up. Like the, the fire, the fire day. If you know that episode where he, uh, he does like the fire alarm and he's got everything locked up. So no one can, can get out <laughs> and they all freak out and they're throwing stuff through the window. So,
0: so yeah, there's. Some I always crazy love episodes. his memes where it's a false. Yeah, one of those false memes with him. That they're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. What about you? books? So, what are some favorite books? Either maybe you've you've read, you're reading that helped you transition, or maybe with all the traveling you're doing, what are some? What's on your? What comes to mind right now with well, the I, books?
1: I want I want to ask you guys if you got you guys both have kids, right? Yeah, boys, young boys.
0: Yeah, his are older. Mine, mine are young. Mine are all young all boys he's got a. he's got a girl in. okay i, I, I want
1: to share this with you this is my favorite book of all time and i was thinking about you guys because I, I thought you might have younger kids but have your kids or did you guys read growing up where the red fern grows mm-hmm. man yeah. that's i think that's my favorite book of all time yeah. i read that as a boy growing up in west virginia old dan and little ann coon dogs um I I read that book to my son, uh, and I hope that's kind of like a family tradition. I hope when my son has kids that he reads it. Um,
0: That's a great reminder. I looked for that to watch it with my kids. No, man, you you want to do the book first. Yeah, well, I know. (laughs) We couldn't find it. So anyway, thanks for the reminder on that.
1: Yeah, man, Where the Red Fern Grows. But a couple books I I read recently, I was talking to you about one, uh, Fearless. Help me pronounce his name. Is it Eric? Blim. Blim. Yeah. Blim. Eric Blim wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. I sent him a text uh when I landed. Uh he didn't respond. He's probably busy. I mean he's a New York Times best. He probably author. will.
0: I, I con- he contacted me. I mean we talked yeah. but that was yeah. years ago. That was years ago.
1: Yeah, so I just read Fearless and uh <laughs> I'd been tearing through it, but I got toward the end and I I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but there's some sad parts. So we were talking about that before we started filming, but man, I had some big crocodile tears on the plane flying in from Dallas, Fort Worth to, to Huntsville here. And man, that was a, that was a great book, solid book. You yep. know, talk about redemption and just resilience and man, so many other things. So fearless, I would definitely
0: recommend. By uh, the way, Adam's parents have been on my podcast. I interviewed are his you mom serious? and dad. Yeah. And it was great. And his mom was just a sweetheart, broken hearted mother, uh, anyway, wow. It's a, it's a great one. Wow, that's powerful, man. That's powerful. Uh, another book
1: uh, that I just read, Operation Pineapple Express by Scott Mann. Mm-hmm. Um, are you guys familiar with that book? Or I'm familiar with Operation Pineapple Express, not the book. Okay. Um, you should get that book, and I'm going to get you connected with Scott Mann. Okay. Because I, I recently connected with him. He's doing some great things for the community. I mean, what he did on Pineapple Express is just amazing. And to read, I mean, the book, I I thought Scott was a straight shooter, man. he I mean, he called it like he's a straight shooter. This
0: is about getting people out of Afghanistan, right? Getting
1: folks out of Afghanistan. And he was a straight shooter about it. I mean, it it wasn't like it it was one of those things about the the foundation. Like it transcends politics. There was blame to go around Uh both sides. It wasn't just one-sided. He was a straight shooter about it, and I respected the heck out of that for for that. But man, I read that book, and I went, I experienced a ton of emotions because I never served in Afghanistan, I only served in Iraq. So reading that book, man, it just fired me up. I was like, oh gosh, I can't believe you know some of these things that happened, and you know, I don't want to get political or anything like that. But that was a great book. I want to get you connected with Scott Mann. Uh, he's got a play out. Uh, it's called Last Out: Elegy of Elegy of a Green Beret. I was so inspired. Uh, my wife and I, we flew to Chicago uh, to watch it. Actually, they just released their schedule. Uh, they're going to be in San Diego and a bunch of other places across the country. It's a it's a play about healing. I mean, he he plays the lead actor. He's the one that did the play and uh, wrote the play and all that stuff. And it's a it's a very healing, powerful play. And, you know, it it's it takes you through being on a special forces team basically danny the play starts danny's bleeding out like he's he's ready to pass and he's trying to make his journey to valhalla or hell and the, the place kind of centered around that and he's got it he's trying to wrap up some loose ends and he's got a lot of things that he doesn't want to let go from his life mm-hmm. so he kind of goes back into his you know training through the qualification course and some of his first deployments and some guys that he might not have been along with so well but it's just a very it's it's fascinating and one minute you're like on the edge of your seat and you're just kind of fired up uh then the next minute you got some tears but there was a gal and i think that you would i think that you should watch this play but there was a gal her name is jazz cannon and she's uh an american afghanistan female and she stood up at the end because they, it's such a powerful play and it brings out so much emotion. Uh, they have, I forgot what it's called, but they have kind of like a hot wash where, where the actors all come out on stage uh-huh. and then they pass out uh, mics to the audience. And we heard from Vietnam vets, some of, kind of the same thing that you're talking about with Sammy with the way they were treated and some of the feelings. So it kind of forces out some of these emotions. It's very healing and very therapeutic. And this gal, Jazz, stood up. I'll see if I can send you the video. But she just said, I want... I'm from Afghanistan, and I want you all to know that everything that you did over there, all your sacrifices mattered so much. Continue to matter. Like, don't let this, you know, what happened with, you know, we all pulled out and all that type of stuff. Like, everything that, all those sacrifices, all... (sighs) All of the things that happened over there, they all mattered. They mattered to us like it meant the world to us. And we're still working. We're trying to get a better Afghanistan. Just don't give up on us. She had a very powerful message. I'll see if I can send it to you. I'd but, love to see that. Yeah. And she was very articulate. She was very powerful. It was It was strong. It was strong. I'd love to see if you could get Scott on the show because he's he's dynamic. He's a retired lieutenant okay. colonel, special forces officer. He's doing a ton of work uh, for the community, doing a lot of healing.
0: So he's he's yeah. a powerful dude. That'd be great. I appreciate it. Yeah. And whether he comes here or we do it via Zoom, either yeah. way. Yeah. Daryl, what else you got? I want this to be worth your time. You know, to promote your the work you're doing and anything else. So, one more book. I wanted. We talked about Fearless. We talked about Operation Pineapple Express.
1: Mm-hmm. I just read "Burn the Boats" by Matt Higgins. And I just consumed that book probably in a day and a half, two okay. days. It just came out. Okay. I've heard of it. Uh, yeah, man. It's it's strong. And I, I went through, I was trying to figure out my note system. I was tinkering around with how I do notes. And I started like a chapter two or three, and I underlined a, I was like, well, I'm not going to underline very much. I'm just going to underline a sentence or two. And then I went back and I had flipping the whole book. seemed like it was all underlined. But there's just some great lessons in there about life and, and doing things. But I want to say I'm really fired up about reading this book. My brother in arms. Dad, this is a book that that you wrote. Maybe you can you can speak a little bit on Who's this one. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh I I felt so bad that I wasn't able to read this book before this podcast. I really wanted to do it and and I do want to say thank you uh for you and your family. You guys are patriots and and what you all have sacrificed for our country, uh, we owe a, a huge debt. So I have a lot of gratitude for you. Thank so you. So if you could talk about
0: this, Thank that you. would be amazing. Sorry, I was getting a little emotional there. Well, man. I appreciate you, it, man. I, um, I've been reading that book to my boys at night. My wife and I usually take turns putting the kids to bed. They can't go to bed on their own. But it's good anyway. It's it's a nice thing. And so lots of times they she... They do grow up fast, man. So yeah. And she reads them a different book. And I've been reading them that book, their Uncle Mark's book. Yeah. And just this the last few nights I've been in the chapter where it goes into detail of his final battle. And I'm kind of blown away. I'm like, wow, that is powerful. That's some great statements by the few people that were there whether they were in the air or whether they were on the ground. There really wasn't anybody on the ground close by, but it's powerful to read what he did there at the end. And as I go back and read the book, there are times where I'm like, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't have said that. Oh, that's why did I do that? But for the most part, and I don't like to hear myself speak, but for the most part, I am very happy with the book. And when I overlook still the, the some of the errors that are in there, um, there's a great message. And I did my darn best to not make it a book of a morning brother praising his perfect brother, because that's not what I ever believed. And there is a lot of praising in there of him. And a lot of it, most of it is from people who came to me without me asking them and saying, I want to tell you about him. And so I did include a lot of their statements, and whether these are high school or, or um, people from the military. So, put my heart and soul into it. Didn't care one bit if it sold a copy. It pre- I prefer it to sell a lot of copies. Yes, to get the word out. That's that's not what this book is about. It's having a record because yeah. he didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. Yeah, and it, I knew it would not take long until, even in our family, nobody would know him. So, and it's already been 12 and a half years. I mean, I've got several nieces and nephews and all my kids. They don't, they never knew their Uncle Mark. And then a few of them barely, barely remember him. I just wanted there to be a record. Like, hey, this is, this is his life. And when, when there is a movie made about him at some point, here's the Bible. This is it. Yeah. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you leave a review on Amazon and... My
1: brother in arms. I can't wait yeah. <laughs> to, I can't wait to read this. Yeah, appreciate I'm it. looking forward to it. And I'll definitely, uh... I'll definitely put some comments on linkedin and uh and Amazon and all that oh man you even uh you even signed it too oh
0: well, let me hand you one last thing here, man that I means think a I got lot. something in, in my so pocket much. somewhere oh yeah yeah, here we go well, I'll just leave it in there but there you you gotta have one of those
1: appreciate you man. that's awesome. I think this is my first combat controller uh coin
0: yeah, thank you, yeah you're very welcome thanks for coming coming all this way just to, to be on the show yeah
1: I want to get you connected with some other folks man uh, I'd love to see Chris Cassidy be on your show I think that'd be powerful okay love that yeah and it's so funny to see other people engage with with Chris that are that are so into the space astronaut thing like that's never I mean I think it's cool and it's awesome and it's you know it's super cool but there's a lot of people that are like really geek out with space <laughs> and you can just tell when they're around Chris, it's, it, it makes me chuckle, man. It makes me laugh, but I think Chris would be a great guest. I'd love to get Scott, uh, Scott, man. Cause I think you guys, uh, would really get
0: along and hopefully I can help,
1: uh, bring some, some folks
0: on your show, okay. man. Hey, and if you have a connection to Gary, Michael Rose or Mike Rose, he's a medal of honor recipient that lives here in Huntsville. I'd already told Troy I was going to have him here. I was going to interview him, and, and he hasn't jumped at the opportunity yet. So uh, I have a way to get in touch with him, and I have. And I'm not sure if I need to be very, very persistent or just back off and say, hey, maybe the guy just doesn't want to do it, and I'll respect that. But I would he lives here in Huntsville. I would love to interview him. And he didn't get the Medal of Honor until President Trump. And this is from Vietnam. I don't know if you know his story, but it sounds incredible because he was – it was one of the classified missions, and it, you know, finally was released. And, and Trump presented the Medal of Honor to him in about twenty sixteen or seventeen.
1: Yeah, I will say a lot of the recipients get pulled in different directions, so I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it personal. Sometimes yeah. we have a hard time reaching out to to some of them as well, and it's just they got a lot going on, and they got a lot of folks that are, you know, pulling them yeah. in kind of different directions. Yeah. But I'll see if I can talk to someone from our team and see if they might be able to help you out.
0: Okay. Okay. Hey, it's been an honor. Thank you very yeah, much.
1: it's been an honor. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.